Hi there, welcome to How Did They Get There? I'm your host, Sean Penn. Uh, I'm in New York, it's hot. But uh, today we're talking with Ezra Barnes. And I really got to know more about him and his work, I think through group was the was the major, the first major thing that I saw of him and really blew my mind. I think group psychotherapy is really interesting. I've led a few groups and I always feel very challenged doing it because you have all these different personalities right and I think the goal is that it's to have some sort of intersection among them because that creates interesting conversation but it also kind of helps mitigate issues that someone is having that the other can identify as either happening within themselves or they've they can relate to it somehow and that feeling of empathy or that relationship um it kind of helps one form, and uh, that's helpful. It's helpful when someone else is listening, you know, whatever their background is, whatever the conceit of why they're sitting in that room, whatever that is. And, um, and I think you see that in group. Like, you see this intersection. You see these different personalities that have, you know, they're diverse. They have differences from each other, but then they also have certain, there's overlap, and there's relationships, and um, I think that's like very like typical, but then also uh, unique about what the show is and what it represents. Um, so that that was kind of where I first learned more about him and his work. But then, you know, you look back and you see this like incredible theatrical resume, uh, which is filled with productions that he's directed and acted in. He's played Atticus Finch. He's directed Julius Caesar. Uh, and the Diary of Anne Frank, and productions of Macbeth, and Midsummer's Night's, you know, Midsummer's Night's Dream. I mean, he's done a lot of those types of plays, and by those types, I mean Shakespeare, right? Uh, the King, uh, which is really cool. But then he's also shown up a lot in television, from Jessica Jones to Law and Order. You know, he did several of those uh, episodes, as well as Orange Is the New Black. He was also, I mean, he was in that motherless, you know, Brooklyn playing a doctor opposite Ed Norton. And he does that a lot. You see him a lot, like playing doctors, lawyers, but he always adds his, he like Ezra's it and he makes it his own, which is, um, I think the mark of like incredible talent. So what does he have coming out? So, well, one thing that we talked about and I wasn't sure, I, we weren't sure if we could talk about this, but we did because I mean, come on. Like, why, why wouldn't you? But the group thing, that show, uh, Alexi Lloyd, it's becoming a movie. They shot it. It's going to come out. I think he's editing it. And, um, you know, Thomas Sadowski, who's a great actor, is, is playing someone coming into the group. And we talked more about that and how that interplay went. Was it kind of like coming back together? And riding a bike or was it kind of different you know because time had gone by there was also group episodes during the pandemic that i thought were really interesting because that's i think a lot it's almost like you're watching something and you're vicariously living through that <laughs> like when people couldn't get out of their homes in 2020 2021 
for extended periods of time, even to go to the grocery store, you kind of see this this void in interpersonal interaction, and that can take a toll, uh, as we know. And so we talked about that. Then the new other projects coming out, uh, Birth Rebirth is a project that came out in Sundance this year, and now it's getting a limited theatrical release uh, by IFC. That starts August 18th, uh, so definitely check that out. It's also going to be released on Shudder at the same time. That's inspired by Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and it's gotten like stellar reviews. Marin um, Ireland is the lead of that. Hostile Takeover, he plays kind of a bad guy in that. Uh, and Can't Let It Go, which is about 2016 and the election and that emotional hangover that took place afterwards, the diversity of opinions, you know, among New Yorkers. And, um, but it's done with a humorous take, uh, you know, really funny and great cast. So definitely take a look at that. Mario Cantone is in it. Super funny. Uh, you know, can't wait to see that. And the two seasons of group are available to stream on YouTube. And we also talked about uh informative things the five college consortium consortium or consortium the amherst umass hampshire no one knows really what hampshire is doing but it's really interesting and it's important for it to be there and i guess retaining this element of imagination and bare bones structure and theater and the vitality of that through performance so i had a blast talking with them and uh, i hope you have a blast listening to this My dad was tall. Okay. And um, uh, tall and thin, and 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 sometime around seventh, I guess eighth grade or something like that. You had a growth spurt. I think so, but I don't remember. <laughs> How tall was your dad? Same height. He okay. was six two. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And um, did you did you find? I'm always curious with people that are tall. I mean, yeah. there are, I often see people down walking down the street that are. Um, Six four, six five, yeah. or even six two, which is way taller than average, especially in the U.S. And I'm, I always wonder: does that does that do something? Does that add a pressure or an expectation in terms of how much space you can take up in life? I, I think it must. Yeah. Um, or, or or it gives you a certain um, confidence. Yeah, like a sense of oh, you're you're allowed. Oh, to take up space. <laughs> That's yeah. what you mean? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I I, th- I think I'm not even aware or I'm maybe more aware now, but yeah, I think I think you do presume to take up space. And do you think that's a good thing? Do you think that's uh th- is that healthy or is that does that sort of be counterproductive sometimes? Well, if if uh I don't know. You know, it's I, It's hard to to yeah. to pull that strand away from from uh, what I enjoyed growing up, hmm. and and the encouragement and support I got from my parents, from my school, to pursue what I liked. 
Which was always acting. It was, uh, yeah, it was, well, it was uh, filmmaking, theater making, um, playing music. Um, I, so, so it was, uh, I I was just given a lot of encouragement. What kind of music? Uh, Well, I studied classical piano, but I fell in love with jazz. Oh, wow. uh, Especially um, uh, with great pianists like Count Basie and Thelonious Monk and Bud Powell. Oh, yeah. And when I was, I remember uh, when I was in sixth grade, Mm -hmm. um, uh, going with my sister and a couple of her friends to the Village Vanguard Mm. to hear Zoot Sims play tenor sax and a great pianist named Jimmy Rolls. Mm -hmm. Um, And nobody cared. You could go. Like like nobody was carting you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just they didn't care. Yeah, they were there to hear music. Well, that's good. There's. Do you like the? Because um, I love jazz too. Do you like the improvisational element of jazz? Yeah, very much. Because it seems like uh, a lot of those guys. I mean, Miles and Dizzy Gillespie and Coltrane. I mean, they're known for how skillful and how talented they are. But I think they're also known for their their autonomy and the way they encourage their bands. Lester Young is another one mm-hmm. that they they're just cool with this free form um, sensibility. Do you think that you pick that up? Because sometimes acting like, I guess it depends on the project, but sometimes you have to be really the you know you have to be kind of precious about the script, right? About mm-hmm. dialogue. So do you find that you there's do. a there's like a conflict sometimes between wanting to be autonomous and then also that rigid element? Well, no, that's probably good though. Because the, uh, uh, like, I love watching YouTube videos of Count Basie playing yeah. with his orchestra. And, and one thing that he's, it's very clear that he loves listening to his musicians mm. solo right. and play. That he's listening to them. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you can actually, you can really vividly see that. He's not showboating. He's yeah. he's there to listen, and then he responds with inserting uh, sparse notes that that move things along. Or right. sometimes he takes a solo. So I just I I like I think, uh, but they're they're always following the form of the song, mm-hmm. the piece. Yeah. But they get to expand within it. So that's sort of a perfect mix metaphor for uh, working with the script and working knowing the words and then knowing the words so that you can actually not know the words Mm. like as much as possible in other words you you do know them in some part of your head but maybe you know them so well that you can forget you know them Mm. and and then see how how it comes out based on your interaction with the other performer, the, the other actor. Well, I guess that that also. I mean, in terms of listening, because what you're saying, I think that's right. Like he's not he's not showboating, but he's almost proving that he's listening by responding differently than he would if they didn't, if they weren't free to do those things. Mm-hmm. So then, I guess when you're, I guess when you're so when the script is so integrated in you and you're not necessarily thinking about it, then you are actually, is that the opportunity when you're actually listening 
to others? I mean, that's when you're really driving, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes a long time. Um, <clears throat> uh, an actor I worked with said that um, Stanislavski said you needed 56 performances. Mm. <laughs> to get to that point? <laughs> to get to that point. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a seven-week run if you're doing eight shows yeah. a week. So already most shows have closed by then. <laughs> so was he right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the the better you know it, the better you know the script, uh, the, more, the more you can... You know... Because I teach acting as well, mm -hmm. and... I teach young actors and I encourage them to think that or to to embrace the idea that the words you're going to say all the words. Yeah. But so you will get to the end of the speech. Okay. Like say it's an audition monologue. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> there are many ways to get to the end. One is you can just go as fast as you can and just get to the end. Right. Or you can go and you can see where the words lead you and see what they evoke in you and and kind of like take a journey and look pause while you're taking the journey to look uh you know look down the the side streets and and enjoy it and explore it mm -hmm. and trust that that you will get to the end right if you just and and that you don't have to know the end ooh so you have to be you have to be comfortable in the uncertainty of that. Yeah, while while really knowing that, and and this is why. This is part of the the power of theater. Say mm -hmm. is that we go to a play. We know that that uh, we know there's going to be a form. We know that the actors yeah. are not really just improvising yeah, yeah. on the spot yeah. sometimes there's improvisation sure. in it but yeah. but there's a shape to it and right. we know that the shape that they're going to observe the shape mm -hmm. so it's really nice if if while that's happening we're all getting a chance to explore as much as possible you just did a play right i did that was that the tale of two cities yes so then how did that go because that in terms of um what you're talking about, like sometimes you have freedom, there's improvisation or there's like little tweaks from the original, you know, um, the original play. And I guess this is an example of that, right? I mean, was it um, like, how did you find this experience? Well, this, this play is totally made for actors. Mm. Its full title is A Tale of Two Cities Cobbled Together yeah. by the Brothers Lovejoy. Okay, right. And the whole the whole conceit of it is that there are these two brothers who for reasons that we never quite understand mm -hmm. are obsessed with the Charles Dickens novel A Tale mm -hmm. of Two Cities. Yeah. And they act it out. And they and then they act it out again and they just keep yeah. doing it over and over again and while they do it they debate the merits of it. Okay. And and whether whether it's themes it's it's very much about sacrifice mm -hmm. and what you what you're willing to give up for someone else. Yeah. And uh, about, um, <clears throat> I, I mean, it, it, it's also got an epic sweep to it because it's about the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. So it's about a period of upheaval. Yeah. So, so they, get to, they get to debate this uh, and explore these themes. And, and there's a, a quest, the question comes up of, 
does the story still have validity? Mm. So it's it's two actors who play all the roles. Okay. So you and who else? <laughs> so I play uh, one of the brothers, yeah. and and the actor named his name is John Peterson. Okay. He played the other brother, and mm-hmm. we played all the characters in the novel. Wow. Now, so, but we're doing our own special truncated version. So we're each playing about, I would say, six or seven different characters and sometimes passing them back and forth. So, so in something like that, and, and the other fun thing about it was that we did it on a very bare stage Mm. with a minimum of props. Mm -hmm. So, so it was really all about the power of our imagination and our make believe. Yeah. And, and that's what the that's what the experience was for the audience and for us. So we actually had a great deal of freedom within that uh, to to play and improvise and play off of each other. Yeah. Because we weren't we weren't constrained by um, uh, you know the lights go down here, they come up here, you have to be in this spot to say this line, you have to wear this costume, you have to, so much of it was just imaginary, what we imagined, and and so it was really an awful lot of fun. Yeah. And, And kind of cool because it challenges some, some conceptions of what theater is, which, which, uh, more and more is about sets and lights yeah. and costumes. Mm-hmm. And what theater ideally is, is about imagination. Right. Yeah, like taking the audience to another world. Yeah. And I guess if the actors feel that they're, again, like they know the script, but they're not necessarily thinking about what line they're going to say next, then they're actually in the moment, they're engaged, and they can almost teleport the audience to another world. If you, if you think it, yeah, it's too, it doesn't work. <laughs> no, it, no, it does oh, work. Oh, it does work, okay. In other words, if you think it, yeah. if you think it's possible, oh, right. then, then you can do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> well, so then what was the, like, what do you think? So did you grow up here? You yeah, grew up in- yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up okay. in uh, Brooklyn Heights, which is uh, right across the bridge. For those of your listeners yeah. who don't know, we're up at Columbia University, which is That's at the right. other end of... Uh, Manhattan Island, the pen- the the shrining uh, pinnacle of elitism, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, uh, I don't think so. I think that's uh, I think that's played out. Um, Harvard, Yale, maybe not this. All right, so then Brooklyn Heights. Yeah. Wait, I just saw something about Brooklyn Heights that you were in. I think um, Hostile Takeover. Oh you were in that God. show. That's not. It, it, that's a short film. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That. Uh, I saw you. That wasn't. That didn't end well for you no. for your character. Uh, but I know that character that did that to you. She was like living in Brooklyn Heights. I I, I oh remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a weird thing. Okay, that's, so that's then, um, yeah. yeah. So Brooklyn Heights. Mm-hmm. So how was was it not as gentrified as it became, or did it not become that gentrified? When when uh, um, my parents uh, bought a brownstone there mm-hmm. in around 1960, and yeah. I was born in that brownstone. Wow. And it used to be, it was a rooming house. Hmm. Before what, is, what does that mean? A rooming house, meaning it was uh, uh, <clears throat> um, like a boarding house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Brooklyn Heights was was a mixture of some 
uh, it had great architecture, but mm -hmm. it was it was it had fallen on hard times. It was yeah. a very mixed neighborhood of uh, those to have the haves and have right. have nots. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it but it also presented a sort of an opportunity for uh, for parents to to raise a family mm -hmm. and not be in Manhattan. Yeah. And uh, um, so so my parents found this brownstone and they renovated it and and uh, and that's that was, where I was born. So the, did you like? I mean, did you? Um, is that where the arts blossomed? Yeah. yeah well, my my dad was an educational filmmaker. Oh wow! He made films primarily for Encyclopedia Britannica. Britannica right. So the films that they were often shown in uh, classrooms, high schools, colleges. Uh, he was particularly involved in the humanities hmm. department. Okay. Um, so so he was making films about the Renaissance, about hmm. art history, adaptations of Shakespeare. Oh wow! Um, uh, films about uh, Emily Dickinson, John oh, wow. Keats, uh, the Iliad, the wow. Odyssey. Oh, he didn't do the Iliad, but uh, uh, all sorts of things. And um, as long as he he had a fairly open, as long as his films conformed to a certain length and and satisfied uh, certain academic mm -hmm. requirements, like they had to be vetted by yeah. a noted scholar. Oh, okay. He could. He really could. He had great latitude about what he wanted to make films about. And uh, we were the beneficiaries of that. And my mom, who's still alive, uh, she doesn't play anymore, but she's a violinist. Oh, wow. And so she played uh, primarily in a community orchestra in Brooklyn Heights. So that's, is that where, that's where the classical music interest developed? Yeah, or? yeah, because we, we were all playing instruments and yeah and then i like jazz <laughs> yeah what's and then uh so but your father so shakespeare yeah. so that th that's where that is that where you first were encouraged to kind of read all those plays and get exposed to the canon of him i mean or did that happen later uh i actually my parents would take me to the theater mm. uh, i was very young yeah like very young and i remember going to the delacorte in central park and seeing wow. the war of the roses mm. uh, which was the adaptation of henry six parts one two and three wow um i remember going to see the tyrone guthrie theater company which came from minneapolis to new to broadway and performed the house of atreus which was a greek tragedy um, oh, okay. you know the agamemnon mm, yeah. story yeah yeah and I just was like, like I just was going to see these things, yeah. and my dad knew a lot of the of the actors and the directors, and so I just was exposed to it. And I actually didn't think much about Shakespeare uh, until until after college. Mm. I did one Shakespeare play in college, but then afterwards I auditioned for a Shakespeare company that mm -hmm. toured the U.S. But when you were growing up, so like, because sometimes when when your parents are into something, yeah, you automatically are not like you're kind of against it because <laughs> you're like, if they're into it, like I want to carve my own individual space. Was that? Did you ever have that feeling? Like, is that why you kind of went into jazz and uh, not as much into Shakespeare after until after college? Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, yeah I think I I was like like uh, I I really responded to jazz. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was um, so lively and expressive, yeah. and but but that's I'm sure because I I heard a lot of classical music. Yeah. So I was able to, I was bouncing off of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so then what was the first, because you, you mentioned, I mean, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So when did that start? Like, when did that, when did the interest in film start? Like, was there a seminal work? Well, my, my friend Sean O'Donnell in fourth grade asked me to join a secret film club. Okay. Fourth grade. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's not secret anymore. I mean. It's not secret anymore. Um, but uh, but we kept it a secret from our school because we wanted to be able. We had this idea that if it was just this small group, yeah, we uh, we could do what we wanted, and that if our teachers found out, they'd be like, "Oh, why don't you make films at school?" And then oh. we'd be like, "Oh no, we don't want to do that. We want okay. we want this to be our secret thing." Mm-hmm. Did you almost <laughs> was that? But is that true? I mean, did you was there a part of you that you wanted them to kind of wanted them to catch you so that you would be compelled to make a film? Like, do you think that was part of it? You mean a film at the school? Yeah. I I <clears throat> Yeah, maybe, but mm-hmm. but we weren't aware of that. We just we just thought uh if they if like we invited a couple of our favorite teachers to watch oh. the films we made, but okay. just a couple because we were like, you have to, you can't tell the, yeah. you can't tell the administration about this because uh-huh. we, we, I think, again, we were we were, like it was a very liberal school, and um, uh, we were maybe reacting to. The lack of structure by saying we oh. want this to be our own, our own thing. So that was uh, that was encouraged, not to be so rigid. Right. The school. Space. The yeah. school was a yeah very uh, it's progressive school called Saint Anne's School, which and, was just in its infancy then. And did they uh, keep your secret, your film yes, secrets? Yes, that's okay. right. <laughs> Who, what do you think? Was there were there like um, did you see actors or directors like who kind of. Who, what was the what was the work that inspired you to get into film and the film club in the first place? Well, I mean, obviously, I was all, always around it because of my dad. Right. So, so it was just something again I just took for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, but the things that that were really inspirational to me were uh, the movie the movie monsters, mm-hmm. uh, Boris Karloff and oh, Bela yeah. Lugosi. Mm-hmm. And King Kong, oh uh, yeah, and um, Fred Astaire, yeah, uh, and and back then, uh, New York was full of revival houses which mm-hmm. showed old films, right? And I used to scour those to see when such and such was playing, and I would ask my mom to take me to the movies. So I was like a film buff from a very young age, and just like I was just crazy about it. You just go out to like a Fred and uh, Ginger film or, yeah. you know, Dina Dolorentis and see the more contemporary stuff, I guess, King Kong. Or well, no, the King Kong that I saw was the original. Which, which was uh, what, 70s? No, 1933. Oh, wow. Oh, man. I don't know, it went that far back. Oh, yeah. It was stop motion animation. It's, oh, yeah. it's one of, and, and it's truly like one of the most moving films mm-hmm. ever made because 
all the all the all the personality that is infused into this uh, giant animated puppet yeah. mm-hmm. of Kong is just extraordinary. Yeah. So so I fell in love with that, and I used to make my own animated films. Oh really? Uh, yeah, stop motion animation, and and I just nobody ever said don't do that. Did you uh, did you like use your father's equipment? Well, no, not not really, because he uh, we used. Uh, Super 8 cameras, oh, yeah. or or regular 8, mm-hmm. as it was called. But yeah. but I had you know I had my own little, and it, it was, the technology was very simple, and you could edit the films yourself if you had a little hand cranked editor, oh, yeah. and and so we just did it. And you felt, and that was satisfying. Oh my god! <laughs> you felt like you were able to. I mean, like speaking of imagination, like you're taking uh, an idea and you're actually like you're implementing it and you're able to kind of see how it how it moves how it breathes how it grows so absolutely yeah and if you're making a film you see how a film is made and you then come to understand how it how you need to edit it and to tell a story and all that stuff and we were just my dad was a benevolent uh Dictator? supporter oh, okay no, he, <laughs> yeah. he wasn't he he just let it he was like sure whatever and if he was around, he might give me a tip or something. Mm-hmm. But but he was. Uh, we were all like my parents were very supportive of of my sister, my brother, and I, mm. and and we all benefited greatly from that. And you guys were like close with each other. I mean, yeah, I was the youngest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my brother is the eldest, yeah. Joshua, and my sister Judith. And now he, Joshua is a, an astronomer. He's a oh, professor wow. at the University of Hawaii in oh, Honolulu. Nice. Okay. And my sister is an opera singer and wow. a visual artist. And she lives in Brooklyn as well. Wow. And um, so we all, I never recall, like I went to college and, mm-hmm. and nobody said, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah what meaning like they they just knew or they didn't nobody like it wasn't just, something that was discussed i don't know i just got work uh in theater right yeah. out of college even during college and i just kept going and nobody i i've like nobody said it, um is that your profession is that mm. what you're gonna do so there wasn't a moment no where you thought about it or one way or the other i guess no, I just it, it didn't even occur to me that there were other things. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wait. So then, uh, so college. So you wanted to leave New York and go out to Mass, Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, I got into Amherst. Yeah. I didn't know much about it. I visited it once. I met nice people while I was there. The weather was good, mm-hmm. and so I went. And uh, and we were just talking about those the five the five college. colleges. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was very. So it was a very rich uh, area. Yeah. And you could take college, you could take class rather, uh, at any one of the five colleges. Right. So, and I took classes at UMass, mm-hmm. Hampshire, Ooh. Mount Holyoke. Yeah. I didn't take classes at Smith. That was the one. Right. The one I didn't. But Hampshire's the one that really interests me. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of fascinated by that. Do you spend? You took a class there. You, you spent time on that campus. Sure. And how yeah. was that? Hampshire uh, was <clears throat> like sort of the antithesis yeah. of because it wasn't an old school. It didn't mm-hmm. have old buildings. It was very kind of hippie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. But that's where I took filmmaking, mm. and um, uh, and because. 
Amherst didn't have a filmmaking class, and I wanted to, I wanted to continue my filmmaking, which and I did. You until, kept doing it. Yeah, until at a certain point I realized that I was like spending hours in a dark room editing the films oh, I yeah. was doing, and then I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm lonely. And um, I realized I, I realized that theater was much more sociable. Okay. And then you tapped yeah. into that isolation when you made group, right? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Years later. That's a, that's a big jump. That's yeah. a, there's a long... That's no, no, no. <laughs> let's, let's get to that point. All right. So then uh, so college, college is a good experience. Yeah. I imagine that you're getting your mind blown with stuff, especially filmmaking in Hampshire. I mean, I can't even imagine what that was like. It sounds really cool. And then you come out and you're not, you're not second guessing. You're not uh, questioning what you're going to do next. You kind of just start doing it, right? Yeah. Well, again... There weren't that many theater majors at Amherst. Mm. There were three of us. Okay, wow. So that didn't mean that people didn't do theater, but they would Majoring in it, they yeah. would major in something else. Mm-hmm. But I was a theater and an English major, and uh, I just uh, I I got hired um, to do summer stock okay. in Vermont mm-hmm. with the, the the professor at Amherst, Walter Boughton. He ran a summer stock theater in Vermont. Wow. So so he hired me to go up there and do six plays in eight weeks or something. It was wow. Great. <laughs> Did you that thing where you're talking about in uh Tale of Two Cities, yeah. uh your rendition of it when you're playing like a bunch of parts, yeah. was that the first time that you did that or did you do that before that, like in college or coming out of it, I guess? I I've I was uh always more of a character actor mm-hmm. uh, especially in college because I was gangly and mm. tall and yeah. thin and and um, kind of uncomfortable with myself oh really yeah like like not uh, so I, I think not as <clears throat> like settled in my own body so sometimes to play an extreme character uh, was good because then it then it it Kind of force you out of yourself exactly. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, why weren't you? Why, do you think there was a reason that you? I mean, it seems yeah, like yeah, I was nearsighted and I had oh. acne. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess that'll do it. <laughs> then, then you know, I got contact lenses and the acne got better. <laughs> yeah, at least you were. I mean, the tall thing is good. You always had the, that. The tall thing is good, um, but uh, I wasn't a jock or anything. Oh yeah, you know, that's so. all right. Uh, height's good. Did you have a lot of? Um, because you said the sociable element is something you didn't get when you were working on the editing bay or like when you're editing stuff exactly. when you're by yourself. So then, did you, did you find that? Did you find that you had that a lot? Were you really social outside of that experience? Like, did you have a lot of, um, like, were you into like girls, uh, lots of friends? Like, were you kind of a uh, not a party animal, but just always hanging out with people? Well, theater is a good yeah. place to meet girls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. It, um, that's that's one of its chief mm-hmm. uh, attractions. Yeah. Um, sorry, what was the question? No, I don't know what the question was. <laughs> Just uh, like, did you always find yourself like, were you an extrovert? I guess. Oh, I was. A, I, I'm a mix. I'm okay. the, the classic introvert extrovert. That's like an omnivert. I think that's what they. Is that what it's called? Someone someone said that to me. Uh, it's stuck <laughs> in my mind. Okay. But but like very introverted, and then sort of needing something like theater to mm. to pull me out and yeah. make me extroverted. 
Yeah. And I found that, um, like early on, uh, say that summer doing summer stock, there was a cabaret that we did every night after the play. Hmm. And the cabaret was where we'd sing songs and okay. do comic acts. Oh, wow. And, it, and that was actually, in a way, that was the best training of all because you had to do a short little something and you had to figure out how to make it funny right. and you had to find out what you could do that would be entertaining to an audience. And, and so, so that was like, like I did a spoof of Indiana Jones <laughs> and I remember like for some reason I took a comb out of my pocket and mm -hmm. started combing my chest hair. <laughs> Did I get a laugh? <laughs> yeah, I got a laugh. Yeah, there you go. You could still do that. That movie still, I think that movie just came out. Right, exactly. You yeah. still spoof it. Yeah, Yeah, you can yeah. reprise that. But uh, so that was a yeah. great, that was like a great experience finding mm -hmm. that, that there was something I could do that, that entertained people. Yeah, and I guess like, uh, also kind of what we were talking about before, like the expectations of the audience and kind of having to deal with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, how conscious are you of what, because you don't know what the audience is coming in with, right? Especially yeah. like when you're doing a play for several weeks. I mean, it's a yeah. new new crowd every every day, and it's a new place, so they have no, yeah. you know, they they hear a tale of two cities, and they're yeah. like, okay, yeah, I, know, I think that's a novel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not a play. <laughs> so then, do you? How conscious are you of that, or do you kind of not think about that as much? I I think you you have to. I think. I think your job when you're in a play is mm -hmm. to do your very best to take the audience on a journey. Okay. And that, but that doesn't mean like you consciously, you, you know, ignore. Yeah. You, you say, I'm going to take you on a journey. You have to do something that's compelling and interesting mm -hmm. to them. Right. That makes them want to find out what happens next. And, and that's, and, that's your job. That's the job of the play, the script. So, like, unveil a, a sense of curiosity. Something, yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to catch their their attention and move them from down the road. So you're doing? Are you? So you're doing? When you get out of college, mm -hmm. you're involved and you're doing lots of plays mm -hmm. as an actor mm -hmm. coming out. Mm -hmm. When do you start? Because uh, you've directed a lot of theater too. So when mm -hmm. does that start? Um. Well, I, I always knew I could direct mm -hmm. from my dad. Like, just, oh, yeah. I mean, I just, I was around it. So. Uh, but he uh, didn't, he didn't direct theater, right? No, he didn't. Yeah. No, no. But, but I always knew, like I did some directing in college. Uh, that started later when I became a producer mm. and with some colleagues uh, founded not one but two outdoor Shakespeare festivals, one in Rhode Island and one in suburban Connecticut. Oh, wow. And, and at first I was producing, so I was raising the money, helping to raise the money, helping mm -hmm. to uh, articulate the vision of, of these theaters, right. um, helping to, uh, you know, finding the actors, finding the directors, finding the costume designers, et cetera. And at a certain point, it was just a natural thing to, to not act in one of the plays, but to direct it and sell it, it, 
directed instead. And that, did that feel like a huge transition? It's a, it, it is a big transition mm -hmm. uh, because you're not, uh, it's wonderful mm -hmm. because what you're doing is you're creating the sandbox. Right. And then, then you get to watch the others play in the sandbox. The, but you don't get to play in the sandbox yourself unless okay. you're also acting in it but it's hard to be an actor and a director i've done that but that's is that kind of like count basing it like <laughs> in a way it is yeah. yeah yeah because he's he's doing the same thing he's <laughs> he's there and he's listening and he's watching and he's nudging um so so it is similar and and it, but eventually a director the goal really of the director is to become superfluous <laughs> in theater because because everybody else has a job. Right. But once the play is open, the director's job is done. You might come back and give notes or re-rehearse something, but ideally, the actors know their job, the costume. It's on its feet. You know, it's on its feet. The stage manager runs the show. So actually, you're training yourself to be obsolete. obsolete. And I guess patient. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. You have, you, it's fun. Are you, would you say you're a patient individual? Uh, yeah, with something like that, I am. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love, and, and it's really fun to see it come together and to see, to, it's a collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're creating something. And, and again, it's something that has to, you have to, like I've primarily directed Shakespeare plays. And you have to, take the audience on the journey that it's it's Shakespeare's map yeah you know and right. you you have to go follow that map but you've also directed um things outside of Shakespeare like I think you directed that one flew over the cuckoos and that's right right I did Production. that yeah in the diary of Anne Frank yeah and, yeah so yeah. how is that because you're I mean your father was really into Shakespeare the humanities I mean Shakespeare's canon is like yeah. uh you know, uh, very ingrained in you, it seems. Mm -hmm. So then how is that, did that feel like a departure coming outside of that and then? Not really, because okay. I've done a lot, I've done, I've always balanced uh, doing a lot of contemporary theater um, with classics mm. and <clears throat> whether as an actor or a director. So, so when I was asked to direct those pieces, uh, it's really not, it's not that different. You mm -hmm. still just, it's basically the same challenge. You have to, even a piece like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's yeah. Nest, which is and is not contemporary because some of, some of what it, some of it is quite dated and you have to say, okay, if we're really going to do this piece, uh, the attitude towards women in the oh, piece, yeah. the, uh, the fact that the only people of color in it are janitors, the janitorial staff. You have to, you, you can't ignore any of that. You have to, it, you can't change it, yeah. but you also have to, have to acknowledge that it's a, it is a slice of time. It's a piece of its time. Oh, wow. That's interesting. It's not, uh, it's not contemporary. It's, not it's about, to... it's about mental health and all yeah. of that for yeah. sure. Yeah. But, but it's also, Ken Kesey was, mm -hmm. 
he was influenced by um, by the Beats. Exactly, I was going to say like <laughs> Kerouac and yeah, exactly. Burroughs, yeah, but those were they were like a lot of macho guys, you know. Piss and vinegar, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kesey was. Uh, yeah, that was an interesting interesting story. So then, um, with Kesey and like the play and uh, all the issues with the movie, I think that he had some issues with. Interesting guy, uh, but still read in schools all across the country all yeah, the time. Yeah, very much. I think, but the movie, the movie was sort of brought into the 60s, or mm-hmm. it was made in the 70s, and it felt like it was done as a contemporary piece. But yeah. I made very clear that that the piece is really about the end of the 50s. Mm. Okay. It's really about the end of the Eisenhower years, before we got into the 60s and Dylan all that stuff yeah and and you know the idea of psychedelics and free yeah. love and all of that it's really about another era and McMurphy is mm-hmm. is sort of like he's kind of like the Jack Kerouac guy in that but he's he's reacting to the rigidity of that time right yeah breaking away from that yeah yeah so then yeah. um when did you start cuz you were working in plays mm-hmm. you were directing plays you were mm-hmm. acting doing all the producing stuff that you we talked about. So then uh, when do you start kind of working on television and in the films? Because you did, you've done quite a bit of that stuff. I just, um, <clears throat> well, I always wanted to do it, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, I wasn't, that, that wasn't initially what I was hired for. Mm. Like as a freelance actor. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but I had, I had agents who yeah. were who would get me appointments and I would go in and sometimes I would get close and then just just slowly started to to get uh get some jobs like small independent films or uh get hired for Law and Order which yeah. was at that time sort of the the New York actors, the New York actor yeah. thing. It's like if yeah. you got if you've made it onto Law and Order, then you got some credibility, <laughs> cachet, yeah, some experiences. Exactly, yeah. And so, so you just had to go in and you just had to audition. And and I, I understand now that that basically, if you did a good audition, then they, and my agent at the time told me this, but I didn't quite believe her. Mm. She said, you know, if you do well, they'll just bring you back until they right. until they find the role that fits for you. And uh, and so it so it really was a matter of doing that and just just going in and going in and and adjusting, learning how you like when you audition for a play, you go into a room and there might be a chair, but generally if if you're auditioning for a play and you sit down, mm-hmm. like you can sit down, but if you spend your whole audition sitting down, it's probably not a good sign. Oh wow! Because theater is about the, you have Stamina. to use your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You in theater, you're the editor. Mm. The okay. actor's the editor because there's no once if the audience sees you, then the audience sees you. So you have to decide. What they're what they need to see that helps the story, right? Whereas if you're like back to going into the audition yeah. room, you go into audition for a TV show or a movie, they mm-hmm. say have a seat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because <laughs> they really don't want you to move around; they just right. want you to be still so they can look at your face. 
because you're not the editor. They have an editor. But in theater, there's no uh, cut. There's no, that's right. Yeah. There's no cut. You're, it's happening live right in front of the audience. Yeah. But, so, yeah. so you just have to, I had to adjust to that like everybody else. Who, but then you kept, I mean, you kept doing it. Mm-hmm. So that was, and that was because um, you felt like it was, I don't know, why, why did you continue to do it? I mean, you must, did you find satisfaction from that? Did you enjoy doing it or? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. And, and you, and not only that, but you get to, <clears throat> work with Sam Waterston. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get to work with Angie Harmon. Yeah. Uh, you get to work with uh, Ipatha Merkison. You get oh, yeah. To, I mean, I mean, it's just... What was your Law and Order? Do you remember some of your... Uh, oh, I did several of them. I think yeah. four or five. And Were you a bad guy? No, I was always okay. a reasonable guy. I okay. was like a college professor or a lawyer oh, or a dog owner. <laughs> you play lots of like uh, those types of professionals, like doctors, yeah. lawyers. Yeah, Do and you... I've played Atticus Finch twice. So yeah. that's, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. So I'm like... Yeah. yeah. So do you like that kind of, because that seems like, those seem like kind of conventional. I mean, Atticus is not on another level, but like... Um, but like doctors, lawyers, those kind of professional jobs, mm-hmm. do you like? Uh, do you feel like you're still able to bring, um, not autonomy, but just kind of like, uh, I don't know, a sense of like creativity, freedom to even a conventional role? Do you like doing that? Is that a challenge? Well, I, I mean, most of those roles are very small roles mm-hmm. that are that are really just there to move the plot along, right. and that's that's the job, and there isn't that much room in them. For sometimes there's room for humor, uh, <laughs> like um, when I removed Jessica Jones's spleen. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, she's really good. I like her a lot. <laughs> yeah, she's very good. Yeah. Kristen Kristen Ritter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the role was written to be funny, but you, you didn't have to overdo it. If it just it yeah it, it was there, and you just have to. It's it's just a. Uh, you're really there to to fill a slot mm-hmm. in in those things you don't have a huge amount of latitude but they're fun to do because you meet interesting people yeah and then you get to uh enjoy the fruits of it and you get um you used to get a check oh yeah yeah it's <laughs> you been still a, get it's a, been check. a few months right <laughs> <laughs> right we're in the midst of a, Some a strike right now but but you used to get uh, the residuals used yeah. to be uh better and mm-hmm. they're not as good now but uh, but yeah so it's nice and it's a validation and it also you can't really you kind of want to be able to do to go back and forth between theater and film right. and tv That's, and you've done that the yeah, whole time yeah right? to an extent but i'm still it's it's just uh you know it's very uncertain i'm very lucky my kids are grown. Um, they grew up okay. Yeah. Uh, I had, um, I didn't come from poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were there was support. Right. And and <clears throat> I think it's very important to say that because because without that, I I couldn't have stuck it out. Oh yeah. That's for sure. Support. Yeah, financial yeah. support, yeah. Um, uh, emotional support. It's a very grinding uh, thing. Thing. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard even to call it a career. 
Mm. You know, <laughs> I guess that's I, maybe that's um, like I think doing a lot of theater. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's why that must be so satisfying. And also like um, almost a reprieve sometimes because you don't have to deal with, uh, first of all, those types of auditions that you're talking about. You don't have to deal with going on a well like a well-oiled machine and being, you know, the plot device. Essentially, you can actually uh, create the show as it's happening. Right. As it's unfolding. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so, then, so it's so, and and it's very valuable to go back and forth between those things. Like I remember when I did when I worked with Sam Waterston, mm -hmm. I was I was at the same time acting in a production of Richard the Third. Oh wow! And I told him that because I saw Sam Waterston play Hamlet mm -hmm. in at the Delacorte Theater in Central wow. Park when I was a, like twelve or thirteen, mm -hmm. and I told him that, and yeah. and I said I was doing Richard the Third right then. Uh, and he said, "It's a." It, he said, "Every time you do Shakespeare, you expand your mind." Mm. <laughs> That's true, right? <laughs> so, so it's very. If you can go back and forth between those things, that's you're you're really very lucky. He has some great monologues in that show. I mean, yes, every I, show. Uh, I, yeah, I wasn't playing Richard. I was playing Buckingham, who's like <laughs> the the right hand man. But he had some great monologues too. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> so then, um, so you continue. You're doing tons of uh, tons of different roles. Yeah. You have all these experiences in the theater that mm -hmm. are formative. That mm -hmm. are um, you're dealing with the imagination element, the bare bones structure. So then, because uh, group, that was a good that was a good time, right? I mean, that had to be. Oh, yeah. Fabulous. How did that, yeah. how did you become involved in that show? Uh, through um, Elliot Zysel. Yeah. Elliot is... I've talked to Elliot. You talked to Elliot? Mm -hmm. When did, did, did you do a podcast with him? No, we, so he was doing, because uh, he was doing like a group um, seminar thing. Oh, great. And uh, yeah, so then I actually um, kind of connected him with through that and then also through, because um, I spoke with Jack Leshner as well, right, as you know. Jack, so then, yeah. Uh, yeah, we had a nice little Zoom uh -huh. And I talked to him about some stuff. We yeah. talked to him from his, um, like, a studio yeah. space because he's yeah. an artist, yeah. uh, as you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, then, so then he was, so he was involved in uh, Elliot Zizel with you getting in the show? Yeah, so Elliot, I met uh, my wife and I. Um, eventually, we adopted two incredible little children. Wow. <laughs> but at the time we were having trouble starting a family. Mm -hmm. And we attended a, uh, it was a sort of, I, I don't, you don't call it a convention per se, but it was a thing called Resolve. Okay. And Resolve was for uh, people having trouble conceiving, conceiving yeah. starting a family, mm -hmm. all of that. And <clears throat> we were fairly newly married. We were in the throes of... Uh, really tough stuff mm. because all of that is yeah. is tough mm -hmm. um and i we went to this and and there was a thing and it said uh it said for men only like like there were these seminars you could right. go to like t you could find out about cutting edge treatments um, treatments yeah. or you could just other things as mm -hmm. well all all just around this issue of starting a family yeah and so so i went to this thing i'm like i'll go to this mm -hmm. and um and it was a uh it was a room with chairs in a circle <coughs> and it was uh basically just a talk 
led by Elliot, and it was uh, um, basically he was just running a group, yeah. like a therapy group. Mm -hmm. uh, it lasted for less than an hour. Men came in. The circle got bigger and bigger. He just had us go around and say briefly why, what brought us there. Yeah. And then, and then he started a conversation. It just, the way he did it was just by asking, you know, after everybody would said why they were there, you know, he turned to someone and said, well, what do you think of that? Mm -hmm. How does that, uh, is that something that rings true to you? Or right. do you want to add anything to what so-and-so said? And, and he remarkably remembered everybody's name in that room, mm. yeah. which spoke to uh, a great, like he has an ability to be in the present. Yeah. So I got his card and I started talking to him mm -hmm. as my therapist. And then he asked me to join a group and I joined a group. Wow. And, and it was uh, just... You know, so so I've been talking to him for years. Wow! <laughs> and and uh, and he's helped me navigate many things, uh, including raising two children. Um, and then at a certain point, he says, "You should talk to this guy." <laughs> mm -hmm. And and uh, he puts me in touch with Alexi Lloyd. Yeah. And. Alexi says that he wants to make a film about group therapy, but he doesn't want to write a script. Okay. And he just wants to hire professional actors and have Elliot basically play himself, mm -hmm. and we all play the people in the therapy group. Right. And we're given um, loose sort of backgrounds, and, and there are themes that we explore in the room, but it's not planned out. Right. And I was like, well, you just want to capture lightning in a bottle, mm. and you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, I meant, I meant that I thought, I thought he was unrealistic in, oh. in what could be achieved. Okay. But then, then we actually, but he proved me wrong and the whole experience proved me wrong because we got a group of professional actors together. So I was like, I, I was familiar with group therapy and I was a professional actor. Right. So I was like uh, at the, the sweet spot for yeah. something like this. Um, but we just, we just got, we assembled a cast mm -hmm. and we would just meet and rehearse <clears throat> and what rehearsal meant was, for example, I play a guy named Frank right. in group. Mm -hmm. And Frank is a journalist. Who, he writes for the Wall Street Journal, mm -hmm. and he's at a crossroads in his life. His marriage. Right. And, and there were things that were very similar that, in other words, I could tap into. Sure. Because um, I, I'm no longer married. Uh, and I've experienced many crossroads in my life because of the vagaries of being an actor, an actor, yeah, and a director and a theater maker and filmmaker and so on. So, so we, so we were finding some, like in other words, we were 
all of us, all of our characters had resonances right. with, with our own basic situations. Mm -hmm. And we would, the way we'd rehearse is we'd go for 15 minutes and we'd just say, okay, let's do a group. And we'd just, I'd be Frank or Ezra, but yeah, exactly. called Frank. Yeah. And we would just, we would just shoot the shit. And then we'd stop and then we would get notes from Elliot and Who was from Ezra? Alexi. <laughs> yeah. Elliot, yeah, eventually they stole my name. They said, yeah. is it okay? We want to name the group leader Ezra. How do you feel about that? It's all right. It's pretty good. <laughs> and I said, I'm flattered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you had, a, you had a relationship with him before I did. The That's show. right. That's right. And then what, what really did amaze me was and this had a lot to do with the talent of the people involved, yeah. was we were pretty, we got up to speed pretty quickly to, to creating a rich environment that could, that uh, comes close to replicating mm -hmm. the kind of intimacy that you find in a group yep. therapy setting. Because groups, they evolve, they, people can be, in them for years, exactly. you know, and you're showing up week after week and you're going through all these changes and you're learning about yourself and learning about other people in, in relation to you. And, but so I, when I said you can't capture lightning in a bottle, what yeah. I meant was, is how are you going to bring on screen the richness of people who've known each other for so long? Mm -hmm. And, and Alexi, he thought about that, but he wasn't deterred. And he cast very talented people, and we were able to get up to speed to where there was a kind of, that there was a lot of that free interaction that happens in a group. Right. But in the back of our minds, and this is where, this is why it was also an acting exercise, is that, we all knew, like, okay, Frank has shown is showing up to group today, and he's got to talk about the job offer he got, right, and how that went over with his wife. Mm -hmm. So he knows that in the back of his mind, at some point, he's going to have to do that. So he's he's dealing with that, and and we don't know how it's going to come out in the course of the session, but it's, oh, wow. but it's going to come out. And similarly, Tilda is coming in with something, yeah. and Manny is coming in with something, and and so we don't know how, but we know. We know at a certain point, or we know that some that 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 two characters are going to have a disagreement, like you and Henry. Yes, exactly. Weren't right. the best of friends. No, that's right. That's right. We were <laughs> yeah, adversarial relationship. Adversarial, yeah. Which makes yeah. sense because, like you said, the dynamics of what you're doing is that you've known each other, you know, for years and years, yeah. uh, several years, and it's a it's like a law and order type of thing where it's a well-oiled machine at this point. Right. And then some other some new guy comes in. That's right. And uh, is almost like um, his relationship with with everyone, which you kind of figure that out, I mean, I guess in season two, too, is that he almost is seen as a spy or something, like a mole or yeah. someone that's steadying them. Yeah. And no one wants to feel like they're being steadied <laughs> when they're right. revealing their most intimate tension, uh, arousing, you know, issues. Yeah, well, he's the catalyst. Yeah. He's the catalyst for, like, he's how the, 
the conflict is activated. Right. Yeah. So so and that's very valuable. And it happens it happens all the time in a real group because because again somebody comes in a new person comes in and and without not even by trying to they mm-hmm. simply stimulate and activate reactions in the other people. Right. And that's and that's what you're there to explore and and study and uh, um, try to understand. And we do that in life too, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just on the subway, uh, all the time. Yeah, all the time. But then there's also a lot of cool things that came up in terms of like um, there's the element of like, are you should you have a relationship with someone in group? outside of group mm-hmm. is it okay to text each other mm-hmm. and all of that did you find that those are kind of the same i guess questions or pieces of conflict or just ideas that were discussed in prior groups that you had been like is mm-hmm. that was it kind of cool to kind of see that come out in the show mm-hmm. oh yeah very much yeah. yeah because it's also about the <clears throat> um it's about the quality of the time you spend together. Mm-hmm. And, and this is like, this is the big, a huge challenge in all of our lives is yeah. because, because there's so much competing for our time by virtue of how fast we get information now. Mm-hmm. So, so the idea, the idea if you can like be disciplined enough to, to say, I'm not going to have a private conversation with this person, even though I'm really interested in them. I'm going to wait until the next time we all convene and then say it. Like and a Manny then, and Pam thing, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so in a way, it's like training you to... Uh, it's giving you some structure and some discipline. Mm-hmm. And also... It, it's not you're not friends right you're not you're not there to be friends you're there to be fellows right you're not there for necessarily to give others reassurance in the group it's not a support it's not, right, a, support it's not a support group. group yeah i mean it, it is supportive it can be very supportive but it's not like it, it's and and your goal everybody's there to explore things or try to try to I mean I was there to try to understand how I could make a life in the performing arts mm-hmm. and have a family yeah how I could uh, <clears throat> be a good husband how I could be a good father how right. I could um, I mean so I had lots of things that that I I needed help with mm-hmm. but but it's not like you necessarily directly get help right what you might get is you know you might talk about your problems and somebody says i am really bored oh okay yeah yeah <laughs> uh, i thought you were gonna or, say like an indirect catharsis or something or no somebody might say when you talk you just sound so arrogant and yeah. and i really just want to punch you in the face mm-hmm. like so so that's not is that does that is that helpful at all for maybe the person that's saying that it's like i'm laying my heart on the line like you're gonna talk to me like that right Uh, yeah well i mean eventually you uh it is helpful it's not easy 
but it's yeah. helpful because because you're you're actually getting real time feedback. True. Right. Yeah. You know, at a and, very emotional yeah sense. Yeah, and and I'm not saying that that happens all the time. People are generous. People are yeah. very generous, yeah. and and they want to help, but. But what is helpful, and you can't just, <laughs> what's being, in a way, what's most helpful is to just tell people how you feel about them. Mm. Or, or, or whether you can empathize or whether you can't empathize. Take away the disguise. It's not necessary. Yeah, it's yeah. not helpful isn't necessarily oh well you know what you should do <laughs> yeah you should right. get up every morning and do yeah. 50 push-ups advice and yeah. then <laughs> yeah. like advice is is easy mm-hmm. that's the easy part right and then there was a pandemic and then there was a pandemic and then you went to zoom yeah, yeah. did you think that the show was uh was that the whole plan when the pandemic happened to go to oh not at all oh wow no there was we were we actually didn't know what the plan mm-hmm. was. We just did those, those uh, we shot those episodes. And then Alexi was, uh, he had all this footage and he was looking for a platform on which to show it. And he found that that rather than, I think there were two, episodes which were meant to be 60 or 90 minutes long i can't remember Mm -hmm. but then i think he found out that rather than putting that out there to put out short little 10 or 12 minute right segments to put that on youtube it started to really strike a chord Mm -hmm. because because people people were hungry for watching people interact yeah and and the thing about group is that it's all about putting it into words. You, your impulse is to hug someone or right. pinch them or hit them, but you can't do any of that. Yeah. All you can do, you know, like, like the impulse is there, but it has to be words. So, so he put it out on YouTube and it started attracting this following and it hit a chord because, because people were isolated and uh, dying for some interaction and they were able to watch us interact. And did that complicate the dynamic in terms of the, between the characters not being in person? Oh, I'm sure it did. Yeah. 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 But again, it was, it was just that when we did that second uh, installment, Mm -hmm. that was, um, yeah. I mean, then we were all literally, in you know on zoom yeah and and made everything complicated for sure so is there going to be like uh like what's happening next you know yeah we made a movie yeah that's what (laughs) elliot actually told me because um yeah i wasn't sure if that was out but i know that um like uh wasn't thomas sadowski involved with that yeah 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 Yeah. that it's kind of a prequel i think actually um uh, <clears throat> because what it is is this 
Tommy Sadowski is playing a character named Alexi. Right. <laughs> and Alexi's a filmmaker who joins a therapeutic group because mm -hmm. he wants to make a film about a therapeutic group. Yeah. So it's all like... Preceding. It's preceding. So, um, so, so we shot more footage. And uh, it's, again... You know, a lot more sort of of this gold, really. And it was interesting because we, the cast was reunited, mm -hmm. minus Henry. Oh, no. Who's not, because it's a prequel. Yeah, yeah, right. Right? Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so we were reunited, and, and it, was, it was just wonderful because, again, like, and this this was where Alexi was mm -hmm. was spot on. We, because it was a good group, we were able to to get right back to it, right, and and really uh, get some more rich material. Yeah. So, so I don't. I know Alexi's editing, and um, yeah, I want to see that. I want to see it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, then, and you also have like uh, so you you did that, and then you're continuing to do. Theater. I mean, like we said, we just you just wrapped up the play, and then you have like a bunch of movies coming out. So things are kind of happening like that. I mean, I guess the hostile takeover that's come that came out. I don't. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what's what's happening with that. Yeah, um, there's like the birth rebirth thing. Oh, yes, birth rebirth. That's yeah. coming up. Uh, I'm going to a screening of that in August, mm -hmm. and it got very good notices uh, at Sundance, right. um, which is great. And um, I think there was something else, but I can't remember what. Oh, can't let it go. That. Oh, can't let it go. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, which is about uh, about election hangover. Election hangover. Yeah, 2016 election hangover. Yeah. Um, but I think. <clears throat> yeah. So so it's hard to, and then there are projects. I also work with playwrights and sometimes try to help. Uh, a playwright get get something going if there's a role for me or if I, or maybe I'm going to direct it, um, and so so I'm always on the lookout for that for something new because you it's nice to go back and forth between the classics and the new yeah and one of my very best experiences in the theater was when I optioned a play by an English uh, playwright named Fraser Grace called Breakfast with Mugabe, mm -hmm. which was about, based on the true event that Robert Mugabe, the uh, president and founder of the country of Zimbabwe, mm. uh, sought psychiatric treatment from a white psychiatrist. Oh, wow. And so the play was about, that through that prism, the play explored uh, the, the, uh, effects of colonialism. Um, it explored, again, uh, psychiatric mm -hmm. things. Uh, so it was a very rich play, and I, I produced it off-Broadway, and I played the psychiatrist and nice. and had a great time and somehow, uh, uh, you know, survived to tell the tale of <laughs> producing and acting in a play off-Broadway. So I'm just, it's kind of like you don't really know what's, what's next. Uncertainty. 
uncertainty. Okay. Well, uh, this was, uh, gee, I was going to say something, but then I realized that I was kind of lame. But I was going to say, like, well, one thing I'm certain about is that this was a lot of fun, but <laughs> I'm not going to say fun. that. Yeah, uh, no, it was it was a lot of fun, right? Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed it, John. Yeah, thanks again. Yeah. Thanks again for doing this. Like, your work yeah. is so rich. Um, and obviously, I love group because it really yeah. resonates with what I do. Um, so, yeah, thanks again. This was fun. I think, I think group will keep going because I yeah. think... Uh, I, I just think it's it's uh, it's quite unusual in in the smorgasbord of mm-hmm. things out there to see something that really does take you inside what happens in a therapeutic group and doesn't sensationalize it, right? Which which so often is the case mm-hmm. with when yeah. you see when you see that on film, uh, it's it's pretty rare that you that you actually get a sense of the real process. Right. There are tears, but they're not sensationalizing right. issues, right. emotions. It's very raw to yeah. the core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay. This was fun. Thank you, John.